Hello, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in today to the Inscape Quest podcast show. I am your host, Trudy Howley. Here I am talking with people about how they engage with their relationships, work, and passions. Please subscribe and share this show with a friend, and thanks to you, we can grow meaningful conversations together, one episode at a time. Natalie Kutcher is a DC-based theatre maker and educator. She studied physical theatre and Commedia dell'arte in Italy and has also earned an MFA in classical acting. In addition to performing, devising and teaching, Natalie's children's play, which she co-wrote and directed, was nominated for a Helen Hayes Award. We discussed the value and power of storytelling in children's theatre. Keeping curiosity and humour alive is so important at this time. Natalie, I'm so excited to get to talk with you today and quite funny, we just had a little preamble and we were deciding how we might need to communicate if there is an internet glitch and you came up with this beautiful suggestion, let's just flap like birds because (laughs) even though this is a podcast, we are actually seeing each other in real time. I just Love that. Great way to introduce you and your work. (laughs) This beautiful ability to work in the non-verbal realm. I stole the flapping like birds truly from someone else, to be perfectly honest. But it was a way (laughs) to address something frustrating and immediately add levity and a bit of joking with the form. And how, yes, we're communicating these big, serious ideas, but then technology always gets in our way. Instead of going to the frustration of, oh, things are not going our way, just to immediately counteract that with joy and silliness is something that I think works for theater and beyond. So getting into just this nonverbal storytelling, you have to be so expressive, overly expressive about the moment to make sure that your audience is coming along with you. That's, I think, part of theater. That's such a joy of how is it different than film and these other art forms? What makes it truly unique and special? And so being overly dramatic and joyful and creative is such a, a lovely way of meeting the form. And I'm wondering, maybe we could start a movement of flapping like a bird with these corporate Zoom meetings if people need to get attention. Yes, please, over here. Yeah. This idea of bringing levity and joy into a world that's very serious right now as well. How do you envisage the possibilities of bringing joy in working with children in particular? Laughter is just a communal language that I realized is also true to music, where everybody can read sheet music, no matter what language you speak. So the idea of getting people in a room together that are coming from different backgrounds, there's something so powerful about connecting 
and being in the same space with this, with in the exact same moment, interacting and engaging with the same problem on stage, experiencing the same emotions at the same time, or being able to talk about what they thought was going on, using it as a way to, yes, perhaps experience some catharsis and forget about what's truly happening in the world. It's a moment of, of relief and release but hopefully I, I really enjoy art that gets people talking um, so that it lasts beyond the theater doors, beyond the evening, and it gets people connecting. And that's something that I absolutely love and cherish about theater for young audiences. What's it like for children to go into a theater space? <laughs> I work uh, with a theater company here that's local it's zero to six. We have mothers with babies in the womb and we count them as audience members. <laughs> and they, this is usually their first theater experience. So the difference is they, they enter the space and they don't know that they, ha- they, they can't come on stage. They don't know that they need to sit quietly and wait for the lights to go down. They're instantly just engaged from the moment they walk in the room And as creators and divisors, we take that into account of, okay, do we want some tactile objects that are, that will be near them that they can engage with? Do we want the set to be, you know, really sparkly so that it catches their eyes and their adults can engage with them instantly? With this company, Arts on the Horizon, we have a musician that's all part of the performance and they are acting as the dialogue or underscoring the soundscape of the moment and they're starting to play music as people enter the space so it's instantly transformative and stimulating go to an adult theater and you file in and you sit quietly in your seat and you only engage with the person that you came with and maybe if you have a chatty audience member seatmates they might ask you (laughs) why you're here and and then the lights go and then you know we don't interact with one another until we have, you know, laughter, a gasp. But with the very young, they don't know any of the rules. So it's fantastic because they have none of the social cues that they have to follow. If they're upset, they start to whine. If they find something funny, they burst out laughing and and that'll be contagious. So it's really freeing to create that kind of art. I'm really enjoying hearing you talk about children and not having social cues and also exploring this idea of connection because to me what's coming up is that children are way more plugged into their sensory environment. Adults just aren't. There's so much stress going on in their lives in general you know, we shut down all that sensory awareness. It's protection. It's vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. To truly share our emotions and our experience of a moment. And uh, I love children for that reason. You know, like walking by a baby in a stroller and they just stare at you with no, you know, outwardly just stare. They don't have a pleasant smile because they feel like they have to or they're obligated to. No, they're just totally there in the moment with you. And that absolutely translates to a theater performance. But all of these toys and gadgets that we make accessible to children, to babies, you know, the theater 
offers a space where you don't have any engagement with technology. This beautiful idea of just allowing the curiosity of nonverbal communication to evolve and allow us to be transfixed by fascination instead of exhausted by mental fatigue is really important to bring to kids. Absolutely. There's such a lack of curiosity for the stage and for those stories because they're nonverbal. You don't get all the information right away. You have to fill in the storytelling aspect of, oh, I think, I think that's what I'm seeing. I think this is their relationship. This idea of you're bringing something to life that's full of energy and movement, yet there's this idea that kids can insert themselves into figuring it out is so wonderful. We seem to live in a world of so much planning and organization. We're missing out on this ease of trying to understand patterns, especially in communication. What ideas would you have for parents to do this kind of thing at home with their kids if they're not able to go to a theater? I I remember even as, you know, being a babysitter to make money in high school of being so willing to play make-believe with the child and not, not leading it because you're trying to teach them something. Truly just letting all of that pressure go and just to live in the moment with a child and let them decide what happens is uh, so relaxing actually, because all the pressure is off you to entertain. They're the ones that are guiding it. And I think that requires being an idiot, being very silly and having a sense of humor. And, and I think using it as an opportunity also for the adult brains to turn off and you don't have that responsibility or pressure um, truly connecting in that way. I I think actually modeling that behavior is incredibly brave and teaches them to have a sense of humor and that their little brains are, are magic and, (laughs) and matter because we, you know, I think we talk down a lot to children or some of the other theater companies or shows that you turn on, you know, why adults hate, oh gosh, this show is, is terrible because it's just repetitive and it talks down to them. And I don't know if they're able to articulate that. I think that's part of releasing yourself of that obligation. I think that begins actually with the parent saying yes, that theater term that we all love, um, enthusiastically saying, great, where are we going today? The beach, wonderful. What does it sound like? What does it taste like? What do you see? Asking those kinds of questions and then just being able to go, great, let's run toward it. Let's engage with it. And it doesn't require any, any money or fancy toys. That's what's really freeing about it. You know, anyone can play in that aggressively creative, imaginative way. So I love this idea of imagery being so freeing because we use it in the therapeutic process with adults all the time. Imagine where a safe, comfortable space would be and like bringing that to life with all five senses. I think there's really something for adults 
here as well as the kids just in the interactive process and be conscious about engaging with the essence of yourself and the essence of the child with these pieces they're they're 25 little nuggets you know that's about the attention span that's the sweet spot before kiddos start getting antsy and and they need a break <laughs> from paying attention <laughs> we know we have you know our time frame and what we want to accomplish and we have sort of the the pieces of well it's going to be about these two types of characters that operate differently so we want to see we want to establish that introduction and then they're going to encounter a problem and then there'll be some sort of resolution and always throughout the process we know we want to have moments of audience interaction to keep them engaged to keep them along with us throughout the story and so we always look for those moments of can we do something wrong to get them to shout and correct <laughs> us? And um, can we teach them some sort of movement that they can do along with us? And so we always sort of keep that on the back burner as to how do we engage them, sometimes literally. We like, we like repetition a lot. <laughs> we also want them to be able to go home and continue the play. And so we have um, a lot of those repeated gestures and games that then they're walking out of the theater with and can do at home. And, and the company will typically have um, handouts or emails of, hey, bring this home with you, bring this character along so that it just isn't, you know, a one-time use. <laughs> you can keep getting some juice out of it. We sort of come up with what's the story? What, what do we want to introduce and then there's this great moment of, of devising and creating and just generating a ton of material. And sometimes that's centered around a character trait, a characteristic. Sometimes that's a prop that's going to be really important to the story. And sometimes that's just how do we, how do we keep them with us? How do we surprise them? And then after that has a few more. <laughs> the rough draft becomes a little clearer. We have folks come in and sit in on it. There, there's a, the Kennedy Center here in DC does a summer page to stage for new works. And it's sort of a way to, to have them be a test audience for folks. So we'll do, you know, a week of heavy, intense devising and then bring it to the Kennedy Center and have families come for free and then we can talk and engage. And, and in those moments, we're actually watching the audience. We're not paying any attention to the actors in that moment because we're seeing how it's being received and what really works and when we lose them. Fabulous as a performer to be a part of that because every performance is, is different. We go through the motions, but the reactions are so varied I think kids are the best audience. They just call you out. If they don't believe you, they don't buy it. They don't owe you anything. They don't know about tickets or anything. <laughs> I, I love Shakespeare. I love the big complex language, but children's theater. Oh gosh, that's great. <laughs> it's such a beautiful description of being in the present moment with every performance being so different, really engaging yourselves and the kids in the present moment. And I'm wanting to ask you about the cultural piece 
of Punch and Judy. (laughs) I know that there's been things written about how you oftentimes give children puppets and they're so familiar with the story of Punch and Judy that whenever they play with puppets, they end up in this aggressive conflict and there's a lot of hitting. That's tricky because somebody is watching another person's tragedy. You know, it's not happening to me. I'm comfortable. I'm safe. That's not me. So I can laugh at it. There is comedy in math, right? There is the rule of threes. There is slipping on a banana peel is funny. I'm also coming from the world of Commedia dell'arte, which has a ton of slapstick in it. But the difference is that the bigger message is, you know, the little man comes out on top. The forces of oppression, you know, always, they don't have the upper hand in these shows. And specifically with Commedia and violence, you, you don't live in it for too long. You don't actually play it realistically. It's a stylistic choice. So you can have extreme violence of ripping someone's heart out and taking a bite and throwing it away. And, you know, we're not genuinely worried about that character. You know, it's a, it's a funny moment in passing. So it can get violent, but we don't ever play it realistically. Perhaps that's why the Punch and Judy, we've been getting away with it for so long is because it's, those characters come back to life, maybe. It's, if that is the whole center of the story, what are we learning from that? What are we teaching? Because those little brains are going to walk away with something. So I think we definitely have an obligation of how do we treat that? What is our relationship to it? How do the characters relate to it? And what's the resolution? What are are they going to learn walking away from it? That's our responsibility as storytellers. You'd mentioned Shakespeare, and I know you have considerable training through your MFA program. How do you bring Shakespeare into your work? I think really asks you to step into that world wholeheartedly and being that courageous and willing to commit to those stakes and and put yourself in those places of vulnerability and not knowing, I think translates to fully stepping into some of the absurdity (laughs) of theater for the very young, being completely gung-ho about it and not worrying about looking silly or, or stupid. I think that flexing that muscle I think really helps translates to, okay, I am so invested in this box and what it has in it. (laughs) I think that's incredibly useful. And I think it gives you an appreciation for then when you go back to the language or when you don't have the language, I think it just makes that whole greener grass situation (laughs) really sing. It's interesting if one thinks about it in the terms of teenagers and how they're so bombarded with a sense of projection of self through social media Mm. and allowing space um, for them to be flawed, (laughs) bringing into worlds that really stress this idea of you can just enter this space of being as an imperfect person where you're allowed to play and make mistakes. Absolutely. 
I mean, that would be so boring to see a perfect performance or to see the story of someone who gets it right all the time. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I don't want to see that. There's, there's no conflict. There's no learning. There's no messy human up there. Just a huge, rich concept to communicate to kids, adolescents and adults. Oh gosh, we, we need constant, I need a constant reminder <laughs> of that. You're not perfect. You're gonna fail. It's okay. <laughs> As an artist, I'm learning that this work is important, that my perspective matters. I love the videos that you have up on YouTube if listeners want to type your name in, Natalie Kutcher. C-U-T-C-H-E-R. Yes. There's these beautiful videos of you and you have these very kind of slow, deliberate movements that have so much energy in them as well. Like there's so much life force and it's just such a beautiful example of going fast at a slow pace. Oh, that's that's a yummy metaphor right there. (laughs) I didn't realize it at the time, but I saw Marcel Marceau perform before he passed when I was very young. And he was so captivating. His body was so expressive. And and my brain just filled in the world around him just based on his gestures. And that I, I <laughs> we came home and I performed a mime routine of being in an airplane that my family to this day still references. And I'm sure it was horrible. <laughs> but it is epic in, from my origin story. And I sort of discovered, yes, the power of movement and of storytelling, truly. The clarity and simplicity of that just can you know, surpass language and those barriers. And I, I find that I, I'm so, I'm always looking for connection, you know, true connection with other people. And I think that's a way to do it connect with other people through our expressive body language it's a it's a constant you know rubber band effect that we're I think try to find that sweet spot of any bigger and it gets cartoonish or any smaller and it should be on tv and I I love that I mean performing is great but I live for the rehearsals just the process of finding what it is and with your other ensemble members and and everyone that works together to try and figure it out what is it and I think that's again where the Shakespeare and and stepping into those big moments and if you're able to capture still the truth of it who that is so moving that is so incredibly powerful for no regardless of whose eyes are watching <laughs> that is so powerful and it really is just such a beautiful metaphor for life that most of us are aware of that it's about the journey and not the destination as I'm hearing you speak there's just so much resonance for life lessons I would love to see children's theater be like a mandatory part of the education system I used to take my kiddo to various different theaters for children in London like every time we'd visit this should be accessible to everyone. Right now, accessibility is is a hot topic <laughs> in the theater world, but it's such an important one. There are more college programs that I know are specifically for children's theater are making that 
part of the education and getting a, a proper concentration, <laughs> you know, a major declaring that, hopefully creating more of those minds. As adults and if people are invited to public speak, it can be absolutely terrifying or even in a group setting just introducing yourself can be terrifying <laughs> I've learned that fear means that you deeply care about what's about to happen and learning to dance with that is is the way to go <laughs> versus trying to control it or not acknowledge it so as a performer, it's new every time <laughs> where the fear lives for what performance and what needs to be asked of me. I've learned to look at it to try and ground myself, again, going back to the body and the breath, like a lot of yoga and other therapy <laughs> recommends, <laughs> to acknowledge it and then say, great, good, I really care about this. I really want to do well. So let's go. Let's see. And um, preparation is absolutely key. Being able to calm yourself, calm myself and say, no, you know this. No, you've got the lines. No, we've been doing this for weeks. And to also, again, coming back to that sense of humor of, okay, what happens if I slip? I've fallen off the stage one performance and still survived <laughs> physically and emotionally. And one audience member came up to me and said, oh, I thought you do that every show. <laughs> so the fake it till you make it, there's also something to be said about that. But I think it's a key ingredient. And I, I don't know a lot of performers myself who don't experience some sort of terror <laughs> before they go out. Because I think a lot of us are truly introverts at heart. And it's this odd balance of, I want to be in the spotlight sounds terrible <laughs> that's not something we ever gravitate to rather oh I want to tell this incredible story and I want to connect with and create something bigger than myself I, th I think that's so wonderful that you shared that in that way because people are so wracked with anxiety and social anxiety these days this idea of engaging with the flow, engaging with allowing the movement of anxiety to just come through you, know that it's there for a reason. And yes, using those grounding and reassuring <laughs> techniques um, helps you do your job better. And, you know, once the ball gets rolling, typically you forget about it because you haven't vomited because you haven't slipped and <laughs> done something incredibly embarrassing. It's, it's typically, you know, just the, for me, just before the curtain goes up where I think I'm going to vomit <laughs> and then it doesn't happen. And then we go and then we're off. I think that's wonderful in terms of normalizing it as well. Like even, you know, the other end of the spectrum from children, but like people in the corporate world who, you know, engage in burnout so quickly and easily because there's this idea of performance all the time, but it's like and perfection just, yeah. in addition to performance. Absolutely. Letting yourself be a real human being. And I think it allows you to, focus on what's in front of you and the other person. That's another 
technique of acting where if you're worried about how do I look and did I do that right? And, Oh, did I say that word funny? You're not actually engaging with your scene partner. And if you put all of the focus on observing them and their behavior and Ooh, how did they react to what I just said? That releases you from that monkey brain of that constant chatter. That's all about yourself, you know, get it off you and invest in the person across the table. And that is so freeing. I love this idea of just being in these activities that world of counseling, one might call them experiential, are so much more effective in general for engaging, being in the moment and producing something than just us all sitting in our heads analyzing all the time. Absolutely. And, and as a teacher, I sort of make that my secret, secret mission to be more absurd than any of my students, you know, if, and I think that's true of clowning as well. You know, if you ever bring an audience member on stage, you never want to make them look bad. You're the one that looks foolish and um, because they're representing the whole audience. So if you, if you turn on them, who trouble. The invitation to the listeners is hopefully leaving this beautiful conversation and to go be more playful and there'll hopefully be some car dancing or some singing in the shower or moonwalking across the crosswalk. (laughs) Yes, yes. I want to see businessmen in suits (laughs) acting like fools (laughs) within reason, of course. Bringing all the ideas that you have through your work, bringing those into the home and engaging with children as well whoever gets to run with that from what you've shared today I'm just excited to bring bring to listeners your ideas so thank you so much Natalie I really appreciate you being here thank you for creating the space thank you for listening to the Inscape Quest podcast with Trudy Howley if you like this show and want to send questions or submit topics you'd like to hear about on your podcast You can find me on Instagram at InscapeQuest. Thank you for listening and for your shares, subscriptions and downloads. Cheerio.